I've heard all about them, about how free they are with their favors. She looked up suddenly and met his eyes. Do you think so? she demanded. Ah, no, my dear, you won't catch me in any careless admissions, he thought. And he looked at her blankly. Do I think you've heard about them? Lucy laughed. She did it so well, with a fine, tinkling sound, that Paul suspected she practiced the thing. No, silly. I mean, do you think the women over there are... I mean, do they... Paul enjoyed Lucy's inability to ask straight out what was on her mind, and took full advantage of this opportunity to tease her. Yes, I'm afraid they do, he remarked rather piously. I must say that it's wonderful to be back in America with respectable ladies again. Ladies such as yourself, my dear, who would never dream of employing such coquettish ways. Lucy paused for a moment, and her eyes narrowed just the slightest bit at the faint irony in Paul's tone. Surely he wasn't implying that she was the least bit like those loose women. What she wanted at the moment, more than anything else, was to go deeper into the coquettish ways of those women— but before she could think of a way to broach the subject, Bristol forestalled her. "'I think I heard the dinner chime, Lucy,' he said, extending his elbow gallantly. She had no choice but to slip her hand through it and follow as he led her out the gallery and down the hall. As the two of them took their places side by side at the long cherry table, Lucy had the distinct sense that she'd just been bested at her own game, but never one to give up too easily. She put on a bright smile and exclaimed at the beautiful setting before her, remarking over the fine white tablecloth and the way the table all but sparkled with crystal glasses and gleaming silver. From the corner of her eye she caught Paul's admiring expression. She would not have felt quite so pleased by it, however, had she realized it stemmed not so much from his appreciation of her charm and beauty as from his appreciation of her ability to regroup so quickly. Paul's father spoke his usual, rather oratorical blessing, and for the next hour the talk flowed around the table freely. There were only eight at the meal, including Paul's parents, his sister Marie and his brother Austin, plus Lucy and her parents. They were all old friends and knew everything there was to know about each other. Paul, having been in Europe for a good part of the last three years, found himself feeling like a foreigner. He listened to Lucy's conversation and decided he'd be surprised if she uttered a single brilliant and unusual speech, as if his mare Queenie were to turn and speak to him on their morning ride. Not that Lucy was an ignorant person, far from it. But her world was bounded by invisible strands that circled Richmond. If an event didn't happen in Richmond, then, to Lucy and her friends, it might as well take place on the moon. Paul's lips thinned as he listened to the conversations so common in polite society. He could usually hold his own in such conversation by drawing on one of his three areas of expertise. However, the mere thought of doing so bored him to distraction. For all his well-developed social graces, only his experiences with fast horses had brought him much satisfaction. He was admired as an expert breeder and had made quite a bit of cash riding his own races. As for his other two areas of involvement, he had gained little money and only slight recognition as a painter, and his extensive success with women had made him slightly contemptuous of most females. Perhaps most people secretly despise what comes too easily, 
and Paul Bristol had experienced few rebuffs from the women of Richmond. The core of mothers in that city, those with eligible daughters, had practically flung their female offspring at Bristol. As for the gaggle of perfumed, powdered, and polished young women, they themselves were more than willing to be flung. There was, of course, a sociological factor in this eager sacrifice. What else was a young daughter of Southern aristocracy to do except marry well? Women in the lower classes might become school teachers, but the daughters of high society were taught as soon as they were able to function that the acquisition of a husband was their single hope of happiness. Paul Bristol had the dubious distinction of being one of those young men who met every requirement of both hawk-eyed mothers and dewy-eyed maidens. His family was good, for the Bristols were of that part of the aristocracy that, though not rich like the Hugers, Lees, and...